Welcome to the Cornerstone Vineyard Weekly Message Podcast. We are enthusiastic about all ages pursuing, experiencing, and having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open God's Word and seek His direction in our lives. So I know of no better way to transition all of us from a chance to celebrate than by watching a video. So check out on screen, so check out this video clip. Will you fight? No! We will run! And we will live! Shame on you! This could be the greatest night of our lives, but you're gonna let it be the worst. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. Well, I'm not going home. We've got too far! And I'm gonna stay right here and fight for this lost cause. A day may come when the courage of men fails. But it is not this day. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. You're gonna work harder than you ever worked before. But that's fine, we'll just get tougher with it. If a person grits his teeth and shows real determination. Failure is not an option. That's how winning is done. Believe me when I say, we can break this army here. And win just one for the Gipper. But I say to you, what every warrior has known since the beginning of time, you've got to get mad. I mean plum mad dog mean. If you would be free men, then you must fight to fulfill that promise. They just cut out their living guts one inch at a time. And they will know what we can do. <gasps> Let no man forget how menacing we are. We are lions. You're like a big bear, man. This is your time. Seize the day. Never surrender. Victory or death. Touch the Chicago. Who's with me? Clap. Gentlemen in England, now I bet. Shall oh, no! My name is the Lord! But I tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our Independence Day! Who doesn't love a good speech, right? Man, that gets me pumped. Uh, all right, so in, in a group like this, let's see. How many guys knew between 60 and 80% of those movies? Nice, good. How many guys were slightly concerned when Pulp Fiction came up? <laughs> yeah, all right, good. So um, I know many guys can remember those, those scenes. There's something about uh, those scenes, but all of those scenes we just saw, they're fictional. Right? Written by a speechwriter in like, the right setting. It's manipulated for a situational um, uh, to draw a response. But I bet we could probably pick up some historical speeches as well. Like when I think about historical speeches that have kind of moved people, I immediately think of like Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, the one at the, in front of the Lincoln Memorial there in Washington. I think about, um, uh, speaking of Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address. Super short, poignant had a significant impact in the months and, and years following. I think about Ronald Reagan saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I wasn't very old for that, but I can remember like, the impact of, of telling somebody to do something. I think about um, Nelson Mandela, who gets released from a South African prison after years of being in prison and, and, and speaks 
a, a message about uniting rather than differences. There's lots of them, of historical speeches. But, but here's some things that they consistently have in common, right? They all have in common. They, uh, they pinpoint a moment in time that, that speak to some overall themes that we all wrestle with. Every one of the ones that move people have an element of hope involved. They talk about freedom or challenge. There's an element of guidance. They're calling somebody to do something or something more. Which makes me super excited that perhaps the greatest speech of all time is our next, the focus of our next series. You see, Jesus gathers a group of people on a hillside. And at the very beginning of his public ministry, and it ends up being his longest recorded message. We don't have to like have to kind of guesstimate what was said. It's actually recorded in three of the Gospels. And in all reality, he ushers in an understanding of humanity and the kingdom of God that still messes with people. We're 2,000 years removed from the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning we're going to be messed with in the best way possible by the words of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount has a, a pretty common format. Jesus is talking, and uh, it, the, Jesus tells people consistently, the format is this, um, uh, you've heard it said this, but I say something different. Now, if you guys are the kind that are, fill out your note sheets, that's the first fill in the blank. Is it in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, is, the format here is, you've heard this, but I say something different. And he, and he hits upon some of the hardest topics that we wrestle with as people. And in truth, we've been struggling with Jesus' reality ever since. Because it's more than what we live in. Jesus says, you know what? Don't believe your own hype. My way is more. There's more than how you're living. And we're going to be very direct today. The world lives a, a certain way that we tend to fall into. And it's this idea that, like, at least I don't whatever. Oh, it sounds like this sometimes. Ah, you know, I, in 2019, we all get really comfortable with this type of thinking. Um, I've not had an affair, but I look at pornography. Or I double-take at members of the opposite sex when I'm out in public. I've not murdered. No, no, I, I wouldn't lay my hands on somebody. I wouldn't take somebody else's life. But I root for other people to fail. Or maybe I, I scream at my kids. Or perhaps I hold a grudge for months or years or decades we get all sorts of poignant things that we say, ah, you know what, I've not done this. But if we really look in the mirror, and that's what we're going to do over the course of, of today and this upcoming series, we're going to see ourselves, Jesus holds this mirror up saying, really? Jesus says, my way is different, period. Jesus gathers people on a hillside and shoots a proverbial arrow through this tendency we all have to say, you know what, I'm not that bad. We settle for it. I settle for it. I'm not that bad. 
I mean, look at that guy over there. That guy's a train wreck. Not that bad. But with each progressive comment that Jesus makes throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know that I'm not that bad? Yeah. My way is different. That's not enough. Now our way gets really stagnant. The way we do things, the way we tend to view life, it gets stagnant at best where you just stay still in the same position we're at. At worst, it's backward because we never experience freedom or joy or love and peace. At worst, it's backward. And Jesus' way is forward. That's the overall theme of our next upcoming series, and I'm really excited about it. It's forward. To the broken and beaten down, Jesus' way is forward, and I'm sure there are people here this morning who find themselves broken and beaten down. To the complacent and the comfortable, Jesus' way is forward, and I'm certain there are people here this morning who are complacent and comfortable. Jesus shows us how to move forward. He shows us what's next. And yes, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in three of the Gospels. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7, in Mark 7, and Luke 6. The series title is Forward, Pressing Through Some of Life's Tough Stuff. And in a moment, the, the messages that are coming up over the course of the next month and a half are going to come up here. And I'm going to read through them, give you a little bit of background. But as they're up there, I want you to check what's going on in your heart. Because I'm, I venture to say there will be some that you're like, yeah, we get to tackle that. And there will be some that you're like, we're tackling that? Because Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. So on October 20th, we're going to talk about worry. Next week, we're talking about worry. T to be honest, I'm a, a nervous wreck, this idea that we settle with. On the 27th of October, I'm super excited that we have 15 or more, depends on how our classes turn, um, people who are publicly making the commitment to follow Jesus through baptism here in this space, and we get to party like crazy at that. That's remarkable. It's coming up next, uh, the 27th. On the 3rd of November, we talk about purity. This idea that you'll only live once, so make the most, keep maintain your purity. On November 10th, we will look directly at adultery and divorce. It's unavoidable. Jesus speaks directly to it. And this lie that says that we tend to settle with it, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, as if our Jesus' goal for us was our happiness. Number 17, we're going to talk about loving our enemy. And this situation we, we find ourselves in society-wise, that when you have beef with people, sometimes it feels good. Maybe some people only live to have frustrations with people. How do you love your enemy? The 24th is all about caring for the poor. And maybe you've heard or said this statement, isn't there a government program for that? What's Jesus say? Eventually we springboard a bit into following Jesus on December 1st. And it's, um, it's this idea that everybody's fine. That the, the lie that, you know, we're all fine. Because at the end of the day, we're not. In your bulletin, here's what I want you to do. On that list... I want you to write down one of those that gets you excited. One of that you feel like, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to hearing that. So write down one that gets you excited, and please write down one that makes you feel uncomfortable. Please do that now. I'd even reframe it like, it might make you feel uncomfortable. Right? You're like, oh, I'm intrigued about how Cornerstone's going to walk through that one. Okay. Write that one down. 
want to encourage you, don't miss this upcoming series. We directly look at the words of Jesus in the middle of it. So I want to pause and pray, not only for this series of forward, but also for this morning. So join me in prayer. God, thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to hear your words spoken clearly. I'm thankful for the Sermon on the Mount, that, um, that they're recorded and we can tap into and not play guesswork about what you're saying. And I pray, Jesus, that right now, your words come clearly through myself, through your text, and that our hearts are open to what you have to say. Holy Spirit, we trust that you have good plans. So we're open-handed to you to do what you will this morning. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. So if you've not missed it, don't miss this series. Even now, by the way, there's some even now you're getting uncomfortable thinking about this series, and I would say good. The ultimate goal is not for you all or us all to walk out of here every morning going, oh, no, right, that was nice. Okay. Because Jesus has been messing with people and drawing people out of their comfort zones for a deeper relationship with Jesus or with himself for 2,000 years. He's going to do that during our time here. Choose to dive in with us as a church while we sit at the feet of Jesus for his longest recorded message, and honestly, it's the greatest speech ever. In fact, it still affects us today. Sermon on the Mount's been forcing people to wrestle with who God is and who they really are for nearly 2,000 years, and today it's no different. In fact, just this week, so the same kind of like uh, tools that are out there that say, you know, uh, hashtag throwback Thursday or hashtag misheard lyrics, all those like what's trending per time. This past week and a half, forgiveness was a trending topic on Twitter. And you might ask yourself, okay, why in the world was, tre- was forgiveness, that's a pretty powerful, poignant statement or word trending on Twitter, we will get to that. Today, we're going to look at Matthew 5. So if you guys have Bibles, please open up Matthew 5. If you have cell phones, find them. If you have, they're underneath um, your seats, find them. I'll be reading out of the ESV. But we're in Matthew 5. We're in verse 21. And these are the words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, it's in red. If not, you're fine, but these are the words of Jesus. Verse 21, 521. You've heard, it, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Pause. The message, I like the message because the message, message instead of saying you fool says you idiot. Sometimes I like the message because it talks like I do. Okay. Um, I, in Greek, it reads raka, which sounds a lot stronger than you fool. Verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, while you are on your way to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Okay, Jesus kind of closes that out. But if you guys have a, a Bible on you, oftentimes you'll find this is, um, is labeled anger. 
right? The, the heading for many Bibles is, is anger on there. And honestly, it's a little bit of a, uh, of a misnomer because this has a lot more to do than just anger. It's not more than just speaking out of, out of anger. Jesus has a lot to say here. Um, often, anger comes from a wrong that's been, that's been committed. Some action has taken place. That action leads to hurt. That hurt oftentimes transitions to anger. And at the best of times, anger turns into forgiveness. At the worst, it turns into bitterness. Let me sure I say it again. Uh, some anger takes place, or some action takes place to us. It leads to us being hurt. It transitions from that hurt to anger, and that anger leads you to bitterness or forgiveness. There's this process involved. People say, you know, watch your actions when you're angry. Don't act out of your anger. Well, when I say I'm not a murderer, I didn't break any laws, Jesus says, you know what? I appreciate you didn't break any laws. But if when you punch somebody, all right, somebody who hurts someone or yells, or belittles somebody else. You're facing the same result. There's judgment coming. He even goes on to say that, uh, which is interesting, on the way to church or to court, if you are on the way before you even get there, you should fix a relationship that's broken. Drop everything and fix it if you acknowledge that there's something wrong going on. Fix it's broken because of an action that's caused hurt. It's about the need to forgive other people because we're all liable to judgment. Jesus tells us to look squarely in the mirror. Truthfully, we're all on our way to a court of judgment. All of us. There's no avoiding it. He says, take a look in the mirror. We should do what we can to fix it with other people before it, this time that we have, ends. And truthfully, if I personally look in the mirror, this has been a really challenging message prep for me. If I look in the mirror, I have to ask how often forgiveness looks, um, as I've looked, it sounds and looks a lot more like the Demi Lovato song, Sorry Not Sorry. Okay? Forgiveness for me, way too often, looks like I will publicly or even in, engage in a conversation and I'll forgive you, I'll say, ah, I get you, uh, I'll forgive, and then I'll hold on to that hurt and bitterness um, indefinitely. Or, if I need to ask forgiveness to somebody else, I'll apologize and then feel like I got away with something on the other side. Right? No, I'm sorry. Not really. For an example, you'll see a picture behind me of my family. That's my, my crew. That's my mom. She had surgery over the course of um, last weekend. And last weekend, my brothers came into town. This marks the third family photo that we have had in the last 11 years since my dad passed away. It's the third time we've been in the same room. Okay. But I'm, I'm on the left. It's funny, I, I don't really realize that we all look similar until pictures like this come out. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, we're all Simpsons. Got it. The one in the center is my brother Jake. Jake and I get along excellently. Jake lived in our house for um, a year to two years, um, is actively involved in, in my kid's life. He, all, he lives in Ohio as well. The one on the right is Justin. I am the oldest. Jake's in the middle. Justin's the, the youngest. And it's interesting. The dynamics between Justin and myself have created space over years. Because I, I could trace it all the way back to like early adolescence where I thought it was annoying and I treated him poorly. And that, that little gap created rifts that never became repaired. And there were some things that took place when I was an older adolescent where I ended up living with my dad. Justin lived with my mom. 
and we never took the time or had the time, let's say took the time, to repair things, which leads to three times in 11 years seeing each other. And this word from Jesus has challenged me. In all reality, it's shaken me. I say challenge like it's all a nice, neat, pretty comment. No, it's really like shaking me, saying, Josh, this has got to get fixed. So it's led to years of trying to figure out, okay, how do I... um, It makes birthdays really awkward when I send texts and don't receive something back. It makes um, holidays when we get together sad because Justin's not there. It's Jake and myself and mom and our, you know, our families compared to being one of joy and celebration. It's led to real things. In fact, if you don't know, I happen to teach in the school system and I tell students all the time that it doesn't matter how old you get, family dynamics are still family dynamics. If you're an adult in the room, you still have family dynamics with your siblings and your parents that I hope, or I figure, you probably wish would have changed or didn't expect them to last this long when you were younger. Wrestle through that too. This has been staring me in the face. As we look forward in this series, we're starting with the idea of forgiveness and our culture's message here of sorry, not sorry. And instead, instead for us today, Jesus' message really sounds a lot more like a, like a, a song, not a Demi Lovato song, but a song from the, the, the musical Rent. My family's a musical crew. Um, we enjoy musicals. And there's a song in Rent titled No Day But Today. And that reminds me of Jesus' comments to us that when it comes to forgiveness, get it fixed and taken care of today. Some scriptural backing about this. And I want to I caution us as we dive in, lest we kind of get off track. I know if you have any kind of backing with church at all, you've heard conversations about forgiveness. And you know it, we know it. We know what we're supposed to do. What I really hope that we're wrestling with today is do we always do what we're supposed to do and what happens when we choose not to? That's the hope as we walk out of um, or stay here today. Uh, Some key questions about forgiveness. One, when are we supposed to forgive? So those key questions. The first thing, when? Before we even engage with God. Reconciling relationships takes place even before. In fact, Paul echoes Jesus' words in 1 Corinthians 11 because he talks about addressing conflict and anger before taking communion. So, for example, if we were to take communion today, we would encourage you to fix relationships that are broken here within the body before doing it. Don't even take communion. Fix it now, then take communion together. The kingdom of God is not a place for broken relationships. Jesus says, fix it. He says, no day but today. Uh, Two, how much? Because I feel like I've forgiven quite a bit. How much? Jesus is clear. He says it's never ending. There's no point in time where you're like, check, I've done my duty. That is not the case. Specifically, Jesus answered this in Luke 17, 3 through 4. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, Ah, I repent, you must forgive him. Two comments on this. One, can you imagine having the same person do the same thing to you seven times in a single day? That's beyond irritating. That would be enraging. Stop doing this. Why do I keep putting myself in a situation where you can harm me? 
Jesus doesn't address any of that. He addresses the forgive him. In fact, he says you must forgive him. And I don't know where you guys sit, but there are times when I read the words of Jesus and I'm like, I would have preferred you to say something different. Right? There are times when Jesus speaks and I say, really? There are times when Jesus speaks and it hits me across the head. It says, this needs a change. He says, you must forgive him. Got it. I got to recover. Because it leaves no space for broken relationships. By the way, as a key aside, I'll be really cautious. This doesn't mean that consequences are totally negated when somebody uh, extends or offers forgiveness. There are still regular consequences that take place. There are still relationships that can be distanced. But as far as it depends on you, Scripture says to live at peace with everyone. Forgiving someone who's wronged you is not a magic pill to restore a relationship. We don't expect people to walk out of here arm in arm, hip, like skipping like in the Wizard of Oz. Right? That's not real life. But we do, as followers of Jesus, because he tells us to, expect us to live without the bitterness of hurt and anger and resentment. Because ultimately, we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven much, so we forgive others much. Um, it does prevent, by the way, forgiving somebody isn't a magic pill, but it does prevent bitterness from controlling right here. It allows for a lot more freedom. Who do we forgive? Me. And you. And you. And you. Romans 3.23 makes it really clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. Nobody escapes this. Believer and non-believer. Who needs forgiveness? Who do we need to extend forgiveness toward? All. And why? Finally, the why. Um, ultimately, when we meet God, the opportunity to, to extend forgiveness to other people is no longer in our hands. I don't want, I don't want to meet Jesus, whether he comes for me or when I pass away, and have lingering breakdowns of relationships with other people because I've harbored hurt or bitterness. I've missed the boat. My opportunity to extend that is gone. I want to live with a, with a clean account relationally with other people. Colossians says, forgive as God has forgiven you. And again, that's a, that's a dull reminder that, oh, yeah, I have been forgiven of a lot. Who am I to hold anything from somebody else? So let's look in the mirror a little bit here. We know we need to forgive others. We know it because you've been around. If you've been in church at all, you know that forgiveness is a need because Jesus did it. But why do we choose not to? I want to venture a couple things. I want to argue a couple points here. One, I think one reason why we choose not to forgive other people is because the hurt takes root to a point where you no longer care for the person at all. You want the worst out of them. You don't want anything for them. Right? You just don't care about the other people. Or two, we, re- we embrace this hurt as part of our own identity. We say, like, I'm a victim compared to I'm a co-heir to the kingdom. Those are massively different perspectives. We tend to embrace this hurt. Um, I know for a long time, and I still wrestle with this, when people ask, like, I'm a child of multiple divorces and lots of moves, a lot of instability, and yes, that's defined who I have become. 
but my identity is a co-heir of the kingdom because of Jesus. That's transformationally different. I'm not defined by the junk. I'm defined by the prize. Um, like a raccoon, because I, I don't know how many, let me paint this picture a little bit. You guys know this or not. But a raccoon, if you put, them in, put a trap in a, in a bottle with a shiny thing at the bottom, a raccoon will reach its hand into this, into this bottle, um, get the shiny trap, or get the shiny piece, and hold on to it without letting go. Just hold on, even to the point of that raccoon being killed. Right? They will hold on, refuse, when all it would take to be rescued or freed would be to release and pull a hand out. I think we do that with our hurt. I think we grab onto it sometimes, and we let it define us. Sometimes it even feels righteous or good. We say, this is ours, this is mine, this is my problem. Yeah, all right. And it becomes who you are, and we are trapped. We might say, um, uh, and it puts us, by the way, our last one, We've grown familiar with the pain. Just it's part. I don't know what it would be like to live freely. We become familiar with the pain, and sometimes we even enjoy the position of uh, keeping score because it allows us to like quote unquote win. You know, I've hurt you less than you've hurt me, or maybe I've hurt you worse than you've hurt me. And here's the danger of that: we we it puts us in the role of God. By the way, when that takes place, and it feels good to be in the role of God. I'm keeping score. I'm winning until we realize at the end of the day. We are all going to be um, in a position, position of being judged by a God who is ultimately righteous and not flawed. When it comes to God, I lose this thing handily without Jesus. God's perfect. He doesn't wrong others. I know that I'm flawed. You know, it's like we say sorry externally, sorry. And we say not sorry internally. Ultimately, I think we think more about our own power and our own control than God's ultimate righteousness. I like being in control. So if I can hold on to anger and frustration, whatever, I'll hold on to it. And here's where we come to forgiveness from this past week. So the backstory. Amber Geiger is a police officer who comes home from a long shift at work. And she lives in an apartment complex, and she goes to her apartment. The door is cracked open, which heightens her senses. And she walks into her apartment and opens the door and sees somebody in her apartment and pulls out her gun and shoots him, kills him. Now, what we might not know is that Amber Geiger had had a long shift and was fatigued, and that apartment was not her apartment. And she goes in to another person's apartment, sees the rightful owner of that apartment standing there, and shoots him. They have their trial over the course of the last um, three to four weeks, have Amber uh, Geiger's trial, and she's found guilty. And during sentencing, um, the man she shot was Botham Jean, who was in his own apartment. And so he is, he is dead, he's there at sentencing. And during sentencing, uh, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, comes on to, to speak publicly, but speak directly to, right? You have a chance to, to face, um, face Amber. And, well, I think the best thing we can do is take a look at his words. I can speak for myself. I, 
I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. That's real pain and real hurt and real wrong and real forgiveness. Not, nothing of that is easy. And in a room like this, this morning, so many hurts reside in so many hearts of a group like this. And maybe for you this morning, maybe it's a mom or a dad hurt. Maybe it's a hurt toward your child. Maybe it's a hurt that's been unresolved with your job or a coworker that you wish you know actually got what they deserve. Maybe you have a hurt toward a friend that, that you actively root against. Maybe you celebrate when they fail. I don't know what your hurt is this morning, but the reality is um, maybe it's even a wrong that you have committed against somebody else. So what are we called to do today? Jesus' way is forward, not stagnant, not backward, but forward. And we cannot stay here. If we're in a position of judgment over somebody else, Jesus says very directly that real judgment from a truly righteous judge is coming for us and coming for each of us. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And here's what's going to take place. For the rest of our time here this morning, 
we're going to sing two eventual songs, but during the first song, in a room like this, there are a number of different things that I expect God and the Holy Spirit to be percolating in you right now. One, press for you, um, that there has never been a time where you have fixed or pursued restoring and asking for forgiveness from Jesus, from God himself. And maybe this morning, there's that fix it that needs to take place. Maybe for you, you're in this space, and when we talk about a hurt you have, you know that there is somebody that's done something to you or against you that you need to forgive. If somebody has wronged you, and you need the, the strength, the drive, the follow-through, the Holy Spirit push to do that, maybe that's a, a part. Perhaps you need to be forgiven from somebody else. You're the person who has been wronged. There's a situation where you know that you are in the wrong and you need to ask forgiveness. And then finally, perhaps even in this space, you know people who are here that you are holding a wrong against that needs to be fixed while we are in this space. During our time here, during this song, I want you to wrestle through one of those four and then we will come back together and give you action steps to receive an opportunity to pursue forgiveness toward others. Thanks for joining us this week. We pray that you are challenged and blessed by this message and that you find application for it in your life as God leads you through this week. For more information about us, please visit our website at cornerstonevineyard.church.